Good morning, Four Oaks. Pastor Paul here on the mic, the home office. Can you believe it? March 1st, 2022. Um, doesn't feel like spring out there, but I think it's going to feel like it later this week here in Tallahassee. So glad that you have joined us. We take 10, 15 minutes every weekday morning to sort of follow up behind um, our preaching series through the book of Romans and look at questions, issues, um, themes, dive deep into certain points that maybe we didn't have a chance to get into that previous Sunday. And now we are into Romans chapter eight. And one of the most famous verses in all the Bible and one of the most famous chapters in all the Bible, if not the most famous, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we've been trying to understand how that, um, some of the implications of that statement. How does that relate, for example, and we looked at this yesterday, to the issue of ongoing sin in the believer's life? Um, well, today we want to look at, um, draw out some of the implications for what Paul says about the law. And so why don't you, if you have your Bibles, and I have my iPad right here because we're going to be flipping through a number of passages today. Romans 8, 1 through 4. Let me read that passage again and then hone in on something. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All right, I want to zero in on that little phrase, okay? Um, what the law, verse 2, could not do. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And so what Paul means there is the law could not save us. The law could not justify us. The God... The law could not uh, empower us to holy living. And because the um, Jesus, God has made a, a provision, a way for us um, to know him, to have salvation, that's he appointed his son to live the perfect life on our behalf, to die our death in our place. There is now therefore no condemnation. So, But the law can't do that for us. Well, it raises a question, doesn't it? Well, what does the law do? What is its rightful function in the life of the believer? Because after all, if you go back um, to Romans 7:12, Paul is very clear. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So the, the command is holy, righteous and good, but it can't save us. God had to do something the law couldn't do. So the question is, what does the law do for us? And the way the reformers, in the Protestant Reformation, talked about the law. They talked about the threefold use of the law. Um, and, and here they're talking about what is the law useful for, both for Christians and for non-Christians, okay? Um, and and uh, there's three words. They're not original to me, of course, but there's three words, operative words, that I think give us a heading to think about the three uses of the law. The, those three uses are to restrain, to mirror and to guide, okay? Restrain, mirror, and guide. So restrain, 
what we 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 find this use of the law um, outlined in Romans 12. So flip over to Romans 12 just for a second, or I'm sorry, Romans 13. <clears throat> and let me read that passage for us. It is talking about um, the role of the government in restraining evil, okay? Paul says, verse 1, Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority set from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So, so what we see here in this first use of the law is that the law restrains evil or it curbs certain kinds of behavior. And this is true for Christians or non-Christians, right? Um, there aren't just traffic lights for Christians. There aren't just traffic lights for non-Christians. There aren't just um, civil laws, okay, in our country and state and county that are applied to non-Christians and those that are applied to Christians. They, they apply to all of us. Understanding the law doesn't have the power to change our hearts, okay? In other words, um, you can come to a red light and you're in a hurry and you can get immensely angry inside and rageful at the car in front of you for not going when the light turns green. Um, but, and so the law can't fix that. The law can't fix your heart, but it can restrain you, right, from running that red light. It can restrain you from, um, you know, instigating an altercation with another vehicle on purpose, right? Because there's punishments for those things. And let's be honest, oftentimes what's constraining us culturally is the fear of punishment, is the fear of being caught, is the fear, you know, I'm going on the freeway, it's a 70 mile per hour zone, and what keeps me, I'm, me metaphorically, any of us from going 100 miles an hour, well, certainly maybe it's not as safe, but if, if, if a lot of us were honest, it's to be like, well, because we don't wanna pay a $500 speeding ticket, right? And so, so this is what the reformers meant. The law is useful for that reason. Okay, it doesn't change people's hearts, but it does curb um, rebellious behavior, lawless behavior to a, to a degree, right? Not universally, not always. People rise above it. That's why we have prisons and court systems. You get the idea. But that's one use of the law, to, re, to curb evil. A second use of the law is that it's a mirror for us, okay? So turn over to Galatians 3, chapter 3. Galatians 3, chapter 3. And, and we're going to look down, um, let's see here, in verse 19, okay? Here what we're talking about in terms of the law as a mirror is that this is for every person. When we look into the law, the law of God, the Bible, we see two things, okay? One, we see God, his holiness, that the word of God is a mirror. It's a, it reflects back to us who God is, his holiness, his righteousness, his truth, his goodness, all his attributes. But it also reflects back to us who we are. 
it it we we see ourselves in the mirror so to speak and for some of us that can be a very grim task indeed and it serves to send us somewhere it serves to drive us somewhere and galatians 3 19 tells us about that let's read that little passage paul says why then the law it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to join should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary now an intermediary implies more than one but god is one is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Now before faith, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that the law has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in the old King James Version, guardian was translated schoolmaster, okay, or instructor. In other words, the law before Christ came was an instructor. It was a, it was a schoolmaster. It was a guardian. It was to lead people to something. And we have to ask, what was it meant to lead people to? What's it meant to lead us as sinners to? What's it meant to lead us to Christ? What happens when we come to the law of God and we see the holiness reflected in the uh, image of God and his word, and then it reflects back to us how sinful and depraved and broken we are, it sends us running to Christ we come to realize the futility of obeying the law, fulfilling the law in our own flesh. We can't do it. And it sends us running <clears throat> to Christ for rescue, for grace, for peace. This is why it's always important that we be holding up the law of God to one another as believers, because it is through the law, Paul says, that he became aware of sin. It's through the law that he became aware that he needed Christ. So we've talked about this a number of times on Sunday mornings, but, but this is a vital function of the law, right? So the first is to restrain evil. The second is to be a mirror for us to drive us to Christ. And finally, it is to be a guide for believers. Now, this third use of the law, the idea that the law is a guide, is something unique only to believers, okay? So let's go, back, go to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 for a second and 10. And it tells us the relationship between law and grace. Paul says in verse 8, Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Now here's the operative verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here we see the idea that God has saved us by, us, by his grace, not to turn our backs on the law and his word, but to fully embrace them. In fact, God has saved us because we're his workmanship. He is preparing us for good works. And that idea of workmanship is key because it's here um, that Paul is saying that God begins to go to work on the believer's heart through his word. 
And so this word, this law is a guide for us um, in that it draws us into the very heart of God, shows us his character, shows us his will, brings us as we do that into closer experiential communion with him. And through his spirit, he uses his law to sanctify us, to transform us and to change us. So all of that to say, there's certain things the law is not good for. It will only bring death. But there are three right uses of the law that serve the life of every believer to restrain evil, to be a mirror to drive us to Christ, and to be a guide by which God does his holy good and perfect will in us. All right, that's our lesson for today. Hope to be back here tomorrow, Lord willing, March 2nd. Um, but for today, let me pray for us, and um, we'll, we'll be released into our days, empowered by the Spirit of God to please God. Um, Lord, that's what we desire to do as your people, please you, walk with you, be your workmanship. Lord, you created us to do good works, to honor you. And so, Father, now let us find respite in you and you alone. Um, let us look to the law to do, let us not look to the law to do things it wasn't intended to do, to save us, to justify us, to give us significance, but it was given to us to point us to you, to uh, draw us into deep communion with you, and to be running to you when we know we can't keep it. Lord, we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.